Are you tired of your digestive system feeling like a circus act gone wrong? Introducing Ritual's 3-in-1 Gut Superhero Symbiotic Plus, a probiotic, prebiotic, and postbiotic all rolled into one. And with 25% off with the code POWER, there's no better time to check out Ritual. Let's break it down. Probiotics are like the cool kids at the gut party, keeping everything in check and making sure the good vibes are flowing. Prebiotics are their wingmen, fueling the party with all the right snacks to keep the good bacteria thriving. And postbiotics, well, they're like the cleanup crew, sweeping away the mess and leaving your gut feeling fresh and fabulous. So say goodbye to the gut drama and remember, there's no more shame in your gut game. Symbiotic Plus and Ritual are here to celebrate, not hide your insides. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com power. Tossing and turning all night like a salad? It's time to put those sleepless nights to bed for good. Enter Tanasi, my sleep saviors, and they have science to back up their sleep, anxiety, and pain-relieving powers. Back in 2016, they invested a $2.5 million grant to Middle Tennessee State University to study the hemp plant. Turns out their special patent-pending CBD-CBDA formula is twice as effective as CBD alone and can be more effective than over-the-counter ibuprofen, acetaminophen, and aspirin. So if you're tired of tossing and turning like a rotisserie chicken, then Tanasi's got your back with their range of great products from tinctures to gummies to lotions. Tanasi is my go-to when I can't sleep or I have way too much anxiety. I'm so glad that I discovered them. So go to Tanasi.com and use the code POWER to get 25% off your order. That's Tanasi.com, T-A-N-A-S-I, to get 25% off your first order with the promo code POWER. Sober Powered is sponsored by BetterHelp. I was a stress drinker and I thought if only I didn't have so much stress, I wouldn't have to drink this much. But do you know why I had all this stress? Because I didn't have the skills to take stressors off my plate so they built up and wore me down. Some stressors are big and others are small, but carrying around 25 minor annoyances is going to have an impact on you. Plus, did you know that alcohol messes with our stress response system and decreases our ability to handle stress? It makes small things seem like a much bigger deal. Learning how to manage stress and take things off my plate has changed my life. I'm calm, I'm less reactive, and I believe that I can handle whatever comes my way. I feel proud of the way that I handle things now. You can get there too. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com sober to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp. H-E-L-P dot com slash sober. People tell me all the time, I just can't accept that I have a disease. We hear that addiction is a disease of the brain, but not everyone wants to accept that they have a disease. In this episode, you'll learn about the disease model, the choice model, and some newer models of addiction. I'll explain what these models say, where they came from, and at the end of the episode, I'll share my opinion on the subject. So let's dig in. For 
centuries, people with addiction were punished and treated as criminals. They were put into asylums or prisons, pressured to undergo sterilization, or given lobotomies. And none of these punishments reduced addiction rates. And as we gained the ability to study the brain, evidence suggested that addiction was better considered and treated as an acquired disease of the brain. This is a polarizing topic, though, and many people believe that addiction is still a moral problem. The way that we view addiction has important consequences for the way that it's treated on both a clinical and societal level. So what is the brain disease model of addiction? Originally, addiction was considered a moral failing and a character defect which is a stigma that still is very much alive today. The choice model of addiction is the present-day version of the moral model, where it's believed that addictive behaviors are controlled by choice and motivation. The choice model and the brain disease model are the two most well-known, but another is the stress reduction model that suggests that people learn to use alcohol or drugs as a coping mechanism, which can eventually evolve into abuse and dependence. And we'll talk more about alternative models in a bit. Today, the moral model has evolved into the choice model, which says that the behaviors of addiction are governed by universal principles of choice and motivation. So this model emphasizes that the individual is the core principle of addiction. The choice model has contributed to the stigma where if someone can't control their drinking, it must be their fault. So many of us think that in order to cut down or stop drinking, we just have to, quote, you know, be stronger. And this is why so many people refuse to get help and why so many of us desperately want to learn to moderate. It may even be why you are trying to do it on your own right now without any support. For more on accountability and feeling like you have to do it all by yourself, go check out episode 143. Science will often describe addiction as a disease of the brain, and a lot of newly sober people who don't attend AA don't like thinking that they have a disease. The definition of addiction is that it's a chronic relapsing brain disease that is characterized by compulsive drug seeking and use despite harmful consequences. It's considered a brain disease because drugs and alcohol change the brain. They literally change the structure of the brain, which then changes how the brain works. There are many genetic, environmental, and social factors that influence someone's risk of developing an addiction. And as I say all the time, heavy drinking causes lasting changes to the brain. And these hijack the brain's reward system and make alcohol really valuable to us. So whether you like to think about addiction as a disease or not, the brain disease model has helped treatment in lots of different ways. It's allowed us to move from thinking that people who can't control their drinking are weak-willed losers to thinking that addiction is a compulsion and is beyond the individual's conscious control and that it manifests without rational judgment. Neuroscience has identified the pathways and circuits that are involved in addiction, including the mesolimbic reward system. 
Addiction results in predictable and measurable change in the brains of addicted individuals. And this provides a lot of evidence that it's a disease because it actually changes our brain. And the fact that medication can be used to treat addiction, to reduce withdrawal symptoms, and help prevent relapses is also strong evidence to support the disease model. So although this model is controversial, it has allowed some key policy changes to be put into place over the past 20 years. And this research has also allowed more preventative measures, treatment strategies, and public health policies to come about that help people with addiction get help and get better. And many people also argue that the disease model reduces the stigma by offering an alternative perspective on addiction to the general public. And most importantly, I think, it's really helped researchers and has allowed funding to be allocated to researching addiction, where a lot of people who still believe in the stigma and think it's a choice, they don't think any funding should go towards researching or treating addiction because it's just a choice and it's only for weak people. So the more that we can help the public understand It's not a moral failing. The more funding and attention we can get to help people recover. So the problem with the stigma is that most people only understand their own experiences. So if they can have one drink and stop, they don't understand why someone else wouldn't be able to do that. So instead of trying to help them understand... The idea that addiction is an acquired disease of the brain can help people who have no personal experience with addiction let go of the idea that it's a weakness or a choice. Most people aren't going to spend the time to educate themselves on something that doesn't apply to them and doesn't interest them. So accepting that it's a disease can be an easy way to reduce stigma. Many people still believe that addiction is a choice and not a condition that requires treatment or funding. And the brain disease model is controversial inside the sober community because some people don't like to be labeled as having a disease. They want to be able to stop drinking without taking on a label or accepting that they have a disease. A disease is a disorder or abnormal condition that affects the body or mind and is associated with specific signs and symptoms. And it can be caused by different factors like pathogens, genetics, lifestyle, or environmental factors. Diseases can be short-term or they can be long-term or chronic, and they can range from mild to severe. Depending on the severity, they can be treated, managed, or cured. So I think the word disease gets a lot of people, but it just means that you have a health problem. It means that your body or your brain is not working as intended. I have asthma, and that's a chronic disease. People don't really walk around referring to asthma as a disease, but it's technically a chronic disease. It's a chronic condition that affects the airways in the lungs and causes inflammation and narrowing of the airways. It can be managed with medication or other treatments, but it's a lifelong condition and there's no cure for it. It doesn't mean anything bad about me. It doesn't mean that I'm diseased or weird. It's just my lungs don't work as intended. If you're stuck on disease, meaning that something's wrong with you, it just means that your brain or your body works differently than it should. So even though there's a lot of evidence to support this model, 
Today, many scientists believe that addiction exists somewhere between the choice model and the disease model. It's believed that there are strong forces that make it difficult, but not impossible, to resist addictive behaviors. So these strong forces include things like your genetics, history of trauma, mental illness, and a lack of social support. That last one's pretty important, and we talk about that a lot. A lack of social support makes it harder to break free from addiction. Although we feel like we should be able to do it on our own, that belief may be holding you back from actually quitting. Social support can look like online or in-person meetings, online communities, or having real-life sober friends or real-life sober family members that you can talk to. It's important to have people that get what you're going through and can be there for you. If you don't have any of these people and you would like a supportive community with online meetings, then please check out my Living a Sober Powered Life community. We would love to support you and you can get more info on that in the show notes. Some challenges to the brain disease model include the fact that people that are addicted to substances can stay sober for certain periods of time. So some are arguing that addiction is a disorder of choice. There are a few other models of addiction, like the psychodynamic and environmental social learning models that state that addiction is about a lack of coping skills and using substances to self-medicate. And once the underlying psychological issue has been resolved, whether that's trauma, depression, anxiety, or something else, the person will be free from their addiction. These models also say that addiction comes from observing others, like our parents, or from social learning, like how I learned in grad school that alcohol is used to cope with stress. Recent studies are putting addiction in between a spectrum of non-voluntary behavior and voluntary actions. So these models emphasize the social conditions that influence addiction, and they take into account the difficulty that certain people may experience while trying to resist these forces. Overall, I say do what's best for you. This episode has been requested for years and I haven't covered it yet because honestly, I really don't care either way if it's a disease or not. It doesn't impact me. It's not something that I think about. All I care about is that people don't say it's a choice or a moral failing. If the disease model does help you, then think about it that way. If the psychodynamic model helps you, then think about it that way. There isn't one way to think about recovery, so we all need to find what works best for us. A lot of people say that anyone can become addicted to alcohol or that we're all a little addicted, and I disagree with that. I observe people all the time who truly have a take-it-or-leave-it relationship with alcohol. Not everybody has a problem. For some people, it's just not their thing. And risk factors for them are so low that it's nearly impossible for them to become addicted because they're just not going to drink enough alcohol on a regular basis to become addicted. I do believe that alcohol addiction is a permanent problem and it's not something that can be cured or changed. I just think there's something different about my brain and the way it works and it makes it really easy for me to become addicted to alcohol. It doesn't mean I'm a bad person. It just means I can never drink ever again. 
I believe in the psychodynamic model of addiction because I do think that if the person is motivated enough, they can shock themselves out of the addiction loop. But alcohol changes the way that the brain works, and it makes it really hard for us to see reality. If you are sober and you've been sober for a bit, maybe you've looked back on your drinking and thought like, oh my gosh, how did I not realize back then? And I felt that way too. And it's because alcohol changes the way that our brains work. So it makes us hard for us to see what's really happening. And because of that, I believe it's not 100% choice. So I've talked about this a lot in past episodes. So if you're new, scroll my catalog and listen to more episodes. But if your brain isn't functioning correctly because of all the alcohol you're drinking, then it's hard to understand how it's really affecting your life. There are things like a lack of coping skills, lack of social support, genetics, mental health conditions, trauma, and more that make it really easy for us to rely on alcohol. But once we become motivated enough to not drink by your own version of a rock bottom or something, or just hitting your limit, whatever you want to call it, we can get shocked out of the loop and then we can work on our risk factors. I can't change my genetics, history of trauma, or my mental health struggles, but I can get some support and learn coping skills, which decreases my overall risk and increases the ability that I can find something else to do when I'm triggered. If you're struggling to get out of the loop, then it's time to try something new. If you continue to do what you've always done, doing it alone, using willpower, calling yourself a loser, then you're going to continue to get the same result, which is the back and forth struggle of drinking and not drinking over and over and over. I recommend checking out a meeting, joining a community, and making an appointment with a therapist. Support only helps. And even though your brain might be working a little bit differently right now because of all the alcohol, it doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with you. It just means that you need some support to break free. If you enjoyed this episode, it would be so helpful if you could share it with someone or give the podcast five stars and a nice review. It helps it get discovered by more people who would benefit from this information. And I will talk to you next week. Madeline and I'm the host of the Happiest Sober Podcast. I got sober in my 20s after a decade of gray area drinking and the greatest plot twist of all time was realizing that alcohol, the thing that I thought made my life the most happy and fun and exciting, was actually the exact thing preventing me from living my happiest and best life. My mom is 40 years sober and she joins me on my podcast very often. I like to call her my part-time co-host and I also bring you solo episodes where I share my top tips, tricks, and mindset shifts in sobriety and lots of how-to for navigating all the things sober from weddings to parties to holidays to bachelorette parties to trips. I'm also joined by so many guests who come on and share their sober stories and they're all so, so inspiring. I'm here to show you that life doesn't end when you quit drinking. In fact, it's very much the opposite. And no matter what your relationship was with alcohol, life can be the absolute happiest when you're sober. New episodes come out every Tuesday. You can listen to Happiest Sober Podcast wherever you get your podcasts.